1 Samuel chapter 5, as we go through a couple of studies tonight in which God shows himself, his glory to the Philistines, and then God shows himself, his grace and glory to the Israelites. Any of you here like Bach? Um, Bach was a, a composer. Uh, my, my son likes him, a pianist. And uh, I don't know if you guys knew this, but on, on all of his works, he would always have a couple of initials in the beginning and a couple of letters at the end. In the beginning, the letters stand stood for this, Jesus loves you. So he was a real run-on Christian, right? And then in the end of his songs, the initials stood for, To God be the glory. And I thought, that is so cool, you know, that um, he had that in his heart always. And I think for us tonight, it kind of goes with the study, you know, how, how the Lord loves us. And as we continue to journey through 1 Samuel, you know, what we're going towards is this king named David. Uh, he's actually not going to be crowned king until 2 Samuel, but you're going to see his, his rise, his struggles, a whole bunch of things as we travel through 1 Samuel. And then in 2 Samuel chapter 1, he's crowned king of uh, Judah. And then I think it's chapter 5 of 2 Samuel that he's crowned king over all Israel. And what he represents is Jesus. You know, when King David ruled over Israel, they were the blessed country, man. They had victory over all their enemies. There was God's presence. It was just like right. It was perfect. It was healthy. It was awesome, you know, so to speak. When King David was king, and he is kind of like a representative of what happens when Jesus Christ comes. You know, and a lot of times I think we lose sight of like, why am I here, man? What do I do, you know? Why do I do this as a Christian? Why am I here on Thursday nights, you know? And I think we need that, that kind of that midweek, uh, you know, gathering. It's kind of like a huddle. Then we go out into the world and we live for Christ. But I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know what, I want more. I want more of Christ in my life, you know. And, and it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. And I guess this message will never end, that I just want him to take fuller control of my life. I want to follow Jesus. I want to know him. I want a, a real personal relationship with him. And that's why I think going through 1 Samuel and just working our way towards him is a real beautiful thing. And we're going to see even some glimpses of that today in our study as we cover the, the time. Remember last week, the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines. And so you, know, you might be worried for the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, no, you know, what's going to happen to it? What are they going to do with it? What's God going to do without man? And we're going to see today that, that in all reality, God doesn't need man. Remember what we read on Sunday? Jesus said, if you guys don't cry out, the stones are going to cry out, man. God's going to get his work done. Now, us, thank God, sometimes we have the privilege of being a part of it. But the cool thing is, God is God. God will be glorified. And we're going to see that in our study today. It's so cool. Because look what we read in chapter 5, verse 1. It says, And then the Philistines, they took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. When the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. And so they took Dagon and set it in its place again. Now we have a map up here, uh, if I'm not mistaken, of, uh, of the journey uh, that the Ark of the Covenant would take. Um, I don't know if you guys can see that or not, but way over here is Shiloh, 
that's where uh, Eli was, the priests were, the Ark of the Covenant was at one time. And, uh, and then it travels over to Ebenezer and then Aphek. That's the Battle of Aphek. And that's where the, co- the Ark was captured. Okay, so they brought the Ark all the way down here. That's probably about an 80-mile journey. They brought it to Ashdod in Philistia. The reason being that was where the house of Dagon was. That was the Philistine god uh, called Dagon. Now, we don't know for sure. Some people believe that Dagon was one of those gods, half fish, half man. Uh, More recent archaeological discoveries tell us that he wasn't just a god of fertility. He was a god of grain. Um, We know that uh, in Mesopotamian literature that Dagon was considered to be the father of Baal. Now, most of you probably heard of Baal, right? He is a, a, a common idol in the Old Testament. But what they did was they brought the Ark of the Covenant down to the house of Dagon, their god, because the mentality of those days, and it was a common practice, that you would capture their god, you would capture their idol. And what you would do is you would then possess their idol, and according to their beliefs, they said that if we have their god, then we have complete conquest over them. See, that's the goal of the enemy. But what ends up happening is they take uh, the Ark of the Covenant into the house of Dagon. And you picture this, you know, uh, this idol, right? This big idol, right? And then the next day they come in, they turn on the lights or whatever. They trim the candles. And there he is. Boom. He's, he's on his face, man. He's worshiping, you know, the Ark of the Covenant, so to speak, which was the strongest visible representation of the true living, loving God, Right. And so you would figure they would learn something from that. Hmm, I wonder what that means. But look what ends up happening in verse 4. And says, And when they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. This time, though, the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were broken off on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso was left on it. And so they had a fight that night. <laughs> no, it wasn't. We know Dagon's not a real god, right? He's just his idol. But this time, he, again, he's prostrate. But this time, his head's cut off and his arms are cut off. His hands are cut off. And, and, and basically, God is trying to communicate to them that you guys are worshiping something that's mindless. You guys are worshiping something that's powerless. It's interesting. Ashdod, the city of Ashdod, it means power. And they had none. The Philistines had no power. The, the power is where? The power is with the Lord. And we're going to see that as we go through our study today. You know, um, the Lord be, is beginning to deal with them. What would you do if that was you? If that was your idol? The first time you see it, he's just prostrate there before the Ark of the Covenant. You prop it up again, and you're kind of thinking, hmm, that's weird. I wonder how that happened. You know, more than likely it was a massive uh, more than likely, it wasn't made out of you know ceramic clay. More than likely, it was gold. It was silver. How in the world did this you know God fall like this? And then the next day, his head's cut off. His arms are broken. God's trying to communicate to them. And I wonder, man, if God is trying to communicate to any of you today. You know, I don't know. We're all in different places. But I do know this, that God loves you. And I do know this, that the Holy Spirit, I believe he's always speaking to us. 
you know, sometimes we, we don't think it's the Lord. We think it's just me. We think it's just him. We think it's just that guy that said it or whatever. But when we stop and we really meditate, I think that if we were just honest, we would know that, that God is trying to show us something, that God is trying to speak to us. You know, maybe, you know, you're falling on your face. And God is trying to show you you are a lacking power in your life. You know, you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, and he shows you those things. And so, you know, the, the simple thing is to do what? Is to turn to the one who has the power, you know? I know in my life as a, as a Christian, my life as a, as, a, as a dad, as a husband, you know, we go through times, and sometimes those times are heavy, and they're, and they're, and they're a real, like a, it's a fall that just invades your home. Okay. Now, what I've found a lot of families, what they do is, you know, they cry and they, you know, say a couple of prayers, but then a few days later, their life is back to what it's always been. It's back to what it's always been. Nothing's really changed. And what God is wanting to do is, God is wanting to say, no, it can't continue to carry on the same way it's always been. Something has to change. It's got to be, you know, your prayer life. It's got to be the way you seek the Lord. It's got to be the way you maybe, and if I could just say this, watch less television, watch less sports. I mean, you know, I don't want to sound weird and I don't want to sound legalistic, but, you know, I'm just telling you something has to change in our life, in our home. And that's what God is waiting for. You know, here's this, do- this God, Dagon. You know, he falls down and God's trying to speak to them. He falls down again. This time it gets a little worse. But all they do, no big deal. They make a little, you know, ceremony. Okay, we can't touch the threshold anymore. They get religious and stuff. And they just go, wouldn't, why wouldn't they just turn to God? But we see that they didn't. And so what ends up happening is things got worse. You know, and, and, and that's what will happen to our life. You know, God is good, and we're going to see today, God is very gracious. But God will discipline us because he loves us so much. You know, and you may not even realize it, but the things that he wanted to do in your life, that he wanted to do in your life, sometimes we just continue to kick against the goats to where he has to go to plan B. And we don't want that. Because look how bad it got for the Philistines. It says in verse Five, therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any who came into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod to this day. But the hand of the Lord now was heavy on the people of Ashdod. And he ravaged them and struck them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how it was, they said, the ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us. For his hand is harsh toward us, and Dagon our God, you bet, man. And therefore they sent and gathered to themselves all the lords of the Philistines and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be carried away to Gath. And so they carried the ark of the God of Israel away. It got worse. You know, God was trying to do it in in a nice way. And the way that the Lord usually will try to deal with us is through conviction. Thank God for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He says, you know what, you shouldn't talk to your wife. 
that way. You shouldn't talk to your husband that way. Um, whatever it is, you shouldn't talk to your children that way. You know, and there's that little voice of the Holy Spirit in our heart. He says, well, shouldn't you wake up now and pray? Or shouldn't you pray? You know, why didn't you read the word today? And the, the conviction of the Lord, you know, we hear it. And then, you know, it gets a little louder. Usually it starts with a verbal correction, you know. But then if we don't want to hear that, then it just intensifies. It intensifies until things get worse. And right here we see with the Philistines is that it says the hand of the Lord was now heavy on the people of Ashdod. So, and then it gets heavy. And, and right here it says he ravaged them. The same word in the Hebrew is used, you know, to destroy and he struck them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. Now, we're going to see as we go through this that more than, ha- more than likely what happened was this thing called the bubonic plague. Have you guys ever heard of that? You guys know what that is? In the, in the Middle Ages, in Europe, 30 million people died from the bubonic plague. What it was was this infection, this plague, that I, I guess the, the fleas carried it, and then they you know, went on the rats, and the rats then infested the, the towns. They tried everything to stop this. They tried everything to stop this, man. It got so bad, so many you know, towns and villages were being wiped out that even the priests wouldn't even go and perform the last rites. I mean, it was crazy. You know, they thought, you know, well, maybe what we should do is you know, they had a whole bunch of ways of trying to address the situation, some thought if you smell certain flowers, you'd be okay. You know, others thought if you put a cross and you engrave it onto your door, then your household's going to be okay. They tried so hard. They said, you know, if anybody leaves the town, you can never come back. They tried so hard to stop the bubonic plague, but they just could not stop it. And we just see, you know, during that time, some say 30%, some say higher, maybe even 60%. Think about that. Even 30%, one out of every three people died from the bubonic plague. And so it was just infesting the villages like crazy. And so we know that according to history. Now visualize that happening in the land of the Philistines. We're going to see later that they talk about the rats. They talk about the tumors. Uh, what we find is that's exactly a description of what would happen in the bubonic plague. And so as these things are happening and to Ashdod, notice, and its territory, you know, they just said, hey, man, we've got to get rid of this thing. We've got to get rid of God, right? And so what do they do? In verse 9, so it was after they had carried it away that the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction. And he struck the men of the city, both small and great, and tumors broke out on them. See, in verse 8, they wanted to carry the ark of the God of Israel to this place called Gath. Now, again, if you look at the map right here, you see uh, where it's traveling from. Again, it's gone now 80 miles south, and then it goes over here probably about 10 miles east. And, you know, they're thinking, well, you know, maybe the people in Gath are more, you know, uh, righteous. Maybe things are going to be cool as it works out there. Just as a quick side note, do you guys know who, what, what famous foe of Israel was from Gath. Goliath. Man, you guys are smart, man. It's amazing. You were fast. (laughs) And you know what I was thinking? I was just thinking, you know what? David saw this. David saw the glory of God 
and how powerless the people of Ashdod were. David saw the glory of God and how powerless the people of Gath were against the Lord. And I'm, I'm sure that it strengthened him when he found out this Philistine from Gath was coming against Israel. He's all, what's the big deal? We've already, God has already flexed his muscles against these people. And, and, I, and I guess, you know, as a quick side note, that's my prayer for you guys. You know, what is your, you know, Goliath? You know, where do you need power in your life? You see, when we read stories like this, they should be faith builders, you know, to encourage us as we go and we fight the good fight. You know, there's people that need to be saved. You know, there's this guy that's working at my house right now, Larry. We call him Larry the Painter because his last name is really hard to pronounce, man. But he's a cool guy, really nice guy, and I've been praying every day, praying every day, praying every day. And finally today, the Lord opened the door for me to share with him, man. It was probably, you know, a good 40 minutes. He had a lot of questions. You know, pray for him. Pray for Larry. You know, but we have these battles that need to be fought, these people that need to be won to the Lord. And I believe that as we pray and ask God, take steps of faith, he's going to do a work. But what we find in the Philistine land is that God had gone to this place called Ashdod and it just struck the city. And so they say, well, let's get rid of the ark. Let's carry it over to Gath. And again, notice again in verse 9, the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction. And he struck the men of the city, both small and great, and tumors broke out on them. And so in verse 10, it says, Therefore they sent the ark of God to Ekron. And so it was, as the ark of God came to Ekron, that the Ekronites cried out, Oh no, they have brought the ark of the God of Israel to us to kill us and our people. And so they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it go back to its own place so that it does not kill us and our people. For there was a deadly destruction notice throughout all the city. The hand of God was very heavy there. And the men who did not die were stricken with tumors. And notice it says the cry of the city went up to heaven. You see, the ark of God in Ashdod, the ark of God in Gath, and the ark of God in Akron. Again, it goes close to 10 miles north. And even though they knew the horror in advance, nothing could stop what God was going to do. You know, they call five leaders of the Philistines and they say to them, send it away. Why? Because the hand of God was heavy there. They cry out. The cry goes up to heaven three times. A threefold witness, right? God is making it very clear. His glory is established. But it's kind of funny. They're still not convinced. And so what ends up happening in verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, Now the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months, And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners, saying, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us, how should we send it to its place? And so they said, Well, if you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means return it to him with a trespass offering. Then you will be healed, and it will be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. And then they said, What is the trespass offering which we shall return to him? And they answered, five golden tumors and five golden rats, (laughs) according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. 
For the same plague was on you, on all of you, and on your lords. Therefore you shall make images of your tumors and images of your rats that ravage the land, and you shall give, I like this, give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from you, from your gods, and from your land. You know, it's interesting to me again that the name of this first city, Ashdod, means power, but God showed his power over them. The city of Gath happens to be the city where Goliath was from, and yet God defeats them. The name Akron now, it means torn up by the roots, which is exactly what God will do with the Philistines. Now let me ask you guys a question. As you go through life, you know what happens a lot of times? I've seen you guys. We just, we just, we just kind of cut those weeds, right? And what ends up happening a few days later? They rear their ugly head, right? Some of you here, I've seen some of your lawns with all those dandelions, man. And what do you need to do? You need to kill the weeds. You need to seed them, right? You, otherwise, you just mow them, and they actually come back with more of a, of a, of a veracity, man, a veracity. And, and, I'll, and I know in my life, and as I'm seeing the, the, my life, okay, these guys are trying to overpower me, this enemy, this lie, this whatever it is, this world, they're trying to overpower me like Ashdod, and I need God. I need God to help me with this thing that's trying to overpower me. I need God to help me to slay Goliath, and I need God to help me take those things up by the roots so that they won't rear their ugly head again. You know, And I think then reading this right here, that's exactly what we see. And that's what the Lord will do. The Philistines were the most formidable foe against David. And we're going to see that. And we have those foes in our life, you guys. And so what we find is that the Philistines, however, had this opportunity. And it would have been crazy, man. Think if they would have just turned to the Lord. They didn't, you know. And, uh, and what ends up happening was they say, we got to send the Ark of the Covenant away. We have a picture here if I'm not mistaken, of the Ark of the Covenant. Because I know most of you probably know what it is, right? But some of you don't, and that's okay if you don't. This is what it looks like right here. If I'm not mistaken, it was like maybe uh, 3 feet by 18 inches. It wasn't real big. And uh, we have right here, it's all overlaid with gold. It has the two cherubim, and it has within the Ark of the Covenant, if you open it up, you would see the two tablets uh, where the uh, Ten Commandments were written. You'd see the jar of manna, and you'd see Aaron's rod that budded. They would be within this, uh, this ark. And there you see the two cherubim there. And, uh, and what they're doing is they're looking towards what's called the mercy seat. Now, the mercy seat would be where the high priest would come into the holiest place once a year with the blood. And in this holiest place, only one time a year could they come in, they would sprinkle the blood right there in between those cherubim. And the cherubim are tripping out. They're like, whoa, this is crazy. Forgiveness, grace, God dying. I don't understand this, right? They don't understand grace, right? And what we see is the Ark of the Covenant was symbolic of the throne of God. The throne of God. You know, and, and as we're talking about the Ark of the Covenant, you know, I, I, and I, and I got to tell you this, you know, sometimes we go through defeats in our life. And you want to know one of the things I think the Lord is trying to reveal to us is that he's not on the throne 
your heart. That's just the bottom line. That's the simplicity of it. But isn't that where he belongs? You know, we struggle. I want this back. I want this back. I can't believe they would do that to me. And you blame it on them and him and all that stuff. But what God is trying to teach you and God is trying to teach me is about the throne. Right? That he should sit on the throne. Right? The Philistines were sending it away. And it's an interesting thing, the way that they sent it away. Uh, it wasn't biblical, huh? It wasn't according to Numbers chapter 4, right? Why, and so why did God honor it? Why did God let them give offerings of, think about how ugly that would be, golden rats, you know? Golden tumors, how ugly is that, right? And they're on this car, and that's supposed to do it that way. As a matter of fact, later when David tried to do it, God killed Uzzah because the ark, you know, wasn't supposed to be transported that way. But the reason why God allowed the Philistines to do this was because they didn't know better. We're going to see later, when you do know better, God will deal with you differently. But here they are. They're trying to get the ark back where to Israel. We have the ark in Ashdod, the ark in Gath, the ark in Ekron, and that led to the ark in Root. How did they do it? Well, they gave their trespass offerings. And one thing that we see within all kingdoms, all you know, mankind is that every society knows they've sinned, right? The Philistines knew they sinned, and so they gave this trespass offering. And as they send it out, they send it out wanting to give glory to God. And then the interesting thing in looking at this right here is as they were sending it out, it says in verse 6, here's the thing. Why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? When he did mighty things among them, did they not let the people go that they might depart? Lord, why do I struggle? Lord, why is this going on? Why, you know, and and the church as a whole, where's our witness, you guys? Where's our witness? There you are, you're yelling your, your lungs out. Your neighbor knows you're a Christian. They're like, what's up with that? I mean, would that make them want to be a Christian? You know, I was talking to this guy, Larry, today. Don't tell him I told you, okay? Because he said he was going to come into church one day. And anyways, um, you know, he was he was giving me some pretty interesting feedback on why, you know, he hadn't been a Christian up to this point. Because he knew a lot of, a lot of hypocrites. A lot of people that were high up because he grew up in the in the, in the what was it called the uh, he was he's Russian man and so he grew up in this uh, in this church the Orthodox Church of Russia and uh, just telling me all these things that took place all the politics of it all the hypocrisy of it how you know they started charging money for everything you know if you want me to you want to see the you know the leader the priest whoever you got to pay money. And all I know is that, you know, it was just a gross misrepresentation of the Lord. And, uh, and so what ended up happening was I was sharing with them. I said, Larry, you know what? We're not a perfect church, man. I, I want to encourage you to know that Jesus is not like that. But I do pray that when you come to a church, when you find a church, you've hopefully even, you know, come over to where we are, all us sinners, man, that you're going to find love. And you're going to find truth. You know, because a lot of times, you know, we don't see that in the church. And why is it, you guys? Why is it? You want to know what's happening a lot? Is just hearts are just so hard. 
hearts are just so hard. Oh, I don't need to do that. I'm good enough. You know, you come in and then you leave and you don't even talk to anybody. You don't fellowship with people. You know, we need that fellowship, you guys. We need to pray with each other. And we need to talk to each other. You know, you ask somebody, how are you doing? And, and, and you'll be honest. Don't lie. Say, I'm doing good when you're not. Well, if I tell them what's going on in my life, they're going to know I'm a sinner. Okay, we already know that, okay? We already know that about all of you. If we want God to do a, a, a real work in here, we just got to stop hardening our hearts. You know, these guys right here, they're telling the, 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 the Philistines, everybody knew about it, why are you being like the Egyptians? And they hardened their hearts. Eventually, you know, God destroyed them. They had to let the people go. But you don't want to be like that. It's real interesting the way that they wanted to prove this. Although they already had the threefold witness, they wanted more. And so it says in verse 7, Now therefore, here's their plan, make a new cart, take two milk cows which have never been yoked, and hitch the cows to the cart, and take their calves home away from them. Then take the ark of the Lord and set it on the cart, put the articles of gold which you are returning to him as a trespass offering in a chest by its side, and then send it away and let it go. And watch, if it goes up the road to its own territory, to Beth Shemesh, then he has done us this great evil. He has done us this great evil. But if not, then we shall know it is not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by chance. And so that's the plan. And so the men did so. They took two milk cows, hitched them to the cart, and shut up their calves at home. And they set the ark of the Lord on the cart and the chest with the gold rats and the images of their tumors. And then the cows headed straight for the road to Beth Shemesh and went along the highway, lowing as they went, and did not turn aside to the right hand or the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them to the border of Beth Shemesh. You see, God is showing his glory to the Philistines, okay? And I believe um, that he wanted them to come to him but it was just so foreign to them that they, they would not submit to something so clear. Maybe some of them did, huh? Maybe when we get to heaven, I'll bet you we'll see a few Philistines there because of everything that took place here. But so they come up with this plan, and this is kind of a crazy plan. They say, okay, this is the way we're going to know for sure it's the Lord. We'll take two cows, okay, and they, they will separate them from their calves, take their calves home. These will be cows that have never been yoked, right? And what we'll do is we'll hook them up and we'll see if they go to Beth Shemesh, okay? Now, the odds would be against that, right? Okay, by natural instinct, a cow would go looking for the calf, right? Man, that's just the way they are. It's kind of trippy, the way that God put that instinct even within the animals. I've got to find my mijo. He needs to be nursed right now, right? And so it would, you would never figure that. Not only that, if it's never been yoked, how is it going to know how to pull a yoke together, right, with another cow? Uh, usually it would be, you know, males, not females that would do that work. And, and then thirdly, you know, how is it going to go on the right road? The right road, this road to Beth Shemesh. Again, look right here at the map right here. Um, you'll notice that he's going to travel from Ekron all the way to, this is the area of Judah, to Beth Shemesh. And what ends up happening, you guys? The cows, they take the ark back to Israel, man. 
so much so that they're lowing as they go, and that they're, they're kind of complaining. That's what at least commentators say, that they're complaining. You know, but they're still doing it, right? <laughs> but it says that they don't turn to the right or to the left. Not at all. You know, didn't turn to the right or to the left. Why? Why is this happening? Well, I think two things that we need to, to really learn from this, you guys. Number one, that God is showing his glory. God is showing his glory. I want you guys to know how awesome God is, that there's no giant too big, there's no weed too deep, that there's no power too powerful. Our God is greater than all of that. I pray that we would know that. I pray that we would live that. But then secondly, God's showing his glory, and God is also showing his grace. God is showing his grace. Remember we read last time that the glory had departed. And it's just an an awful thought to think that Israel was living in sin to a point where they had driven God away. Ichabod, the glory had departed. But now, seven months later, seven being the number of completion and perfection, now the glory does what? Returns. It's like God, you know, even though they didn't deserve it, and we don't know what was going on in Israel this whole time, but maybe they had come back to the Lord. All I know is this, is that God returned to them. And that's exactly what God will do to you. You know, maybe in one sense we've distanced ourselves from God. Maybe in one sense we haven't experienced his presence or his power or that relationship with him that we need to have so desperately. And maybe you think, well, it'll never happen again because I've blown it too much. But you know what? That's what's so good about God. What does the Bible say? Two times in the book of Malachi, it says, return to God and he will return to you. And I love those scriptures right there. When you read in the book of um, Malachi, chapter 3, verse 7, Zechariah, chapter 1, verse 3, God says that if you return to me, I will return to you. You know, it's interesting. When we read where the ark went, it says in verse 13, Now the people of Beth Shemesh were, heap, were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And they lifted their eyes and saw the ark and rejoiced to see it. And then the cart came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stood there. A large stone was there. And so they split the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. The Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the chest that was with it in which were the articles of gold, and put them on the large stone. And then the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices the same day to the Lord. And so when the five lords of the Philistines had seen it, they returned to Ekron the same day. These are the golden tumors which the Philistines returned as a trespass offering to the Lord, one for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, one for Ekron, And the golden rats, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines, belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities and country villages, even as far as the large stone of Abel, on which they set the ark of the Lord, which stone remains to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. 
imagine that. There you are, and it's springtime because that's when the harvest, the wheat harvest would be taking place. And spring to me is kind of symbolic of what? Like a new beginning, huh? Springtime, man. New beginning in my life. And there they are. This is a, a Beth Shemesh. According to Joshua 21, it's a Levitical city. It's a priestly city. And the, to me, you know, it's not a coincidence, huh? That he goes to a guy named what? Joshua. Coincidence? I don't think so. What does Joshua mean? Jehovah is salvation. It's the Hebrew form of where we get our word, Jesus, right? Because that's where it's at, you guys. That's where it's at. It, it's with Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. You know, when you read this right here, imagine the grace. You're there. You look up. I mean, I don't know. To me, and I know this is weird. You guys, you guys already know I'm weird, but I'm going to share this with you anyways, right? In Luke chapter 15, I see the Father lifting up his eyes, and I see the Son returning. You know, isn't that a beautiful picture? He lifts up his eyes, and there his Son is returning to him, and he runs to him, right? But this time it's kind of weird, you know. It's like, you know, there you are, you're in the field and you're just longing for the Lord or whatever it is that's going on in your life. And this guy, he just lifts up his eyes and he sees, the, it's like the Lord returning to him. It's just, to me, I just that's the way I visualize it. Imagine what it would be like, the ark, you know, returning like this. Totally God, you know. And I think of that and I get so blessed. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, you know, the way that he has dealt with us, you know, the way he dealt with Peter is a good example, right? Go and tell the disciples and Peter, make sure you get that guy right there, you know, and maybe you're here today and you're Peter and you're like, well, man, he's doing this message or whatever, you know, and but I'm just here. I'm just one. But not me, everybody else but me. No, you. You. Go tell them and tell whatever your name is because he's the God of the second chance, right? Later, even after that, man, they went fishing. You know what the Bible says in John 21, 1? After these things, Jesus showed himself again. He went, what? Looking for them. And that's the way our God is. He's a God of grace, man. He's a God of glory, and it's hard for us sometimes to find the balance, but I think the healthy Christian is the one that has that equilibrium, you know. Because it's interesting. We don't want to lean too far over here in grace, and we don't want to lean too far over here. You know, we're law, right? We need to have this balance. And that's why we end. Look what it says. It's kind of crazy. It says in verse uh, Oh, let's see here, 19. And then he struck the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck 50,070 men of the people, and the people lamented because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. Now, we don't know for sure if that was how many. A lot of manuscripts say only 70. And even in the Hebrew language, it might say 70 out of 50,000. So we're not really sure. We know there was a great slaughter. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before the Holy Lord God? And to whom shall it go up from us? And so they sent messengers to the inhabitants of kirjath Jerem, saying, The Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up with you. And then the men of kirjath Jerem came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill. 
and consecrated Eliezer, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. And so it was that the ark remained in Kurdat-Jerim a long time. It was there 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. You're like, hey, wait a minute, Manny. I thought you just said that God was the God of grace. Why is it that when these guys looked into the Ark of the Covenant, that there was a great slaughter? Well, like I said earlier, he's not only a God of grace, he's also this God that is so holy. And we need to have this this amazing balance in our life. I pray that you would understand, just like Jesus is 100% God and 100% man, that he's 100% grace and 100% holy. And we need to have this understanding. It's kind of interesting when the Lord revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 34, 5 through 8, he, he mentions both. Now the Lord God descended in the cloud and stood within there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, right? Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. And you're like, oh, God's all grace. And then he goes on and says, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children. Romans 11.22 is a good verse, a New Testament verse. It says, therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God. It's kind of like that, that cow. Okay, let's learn from the cow, right? They didn't go to the right and they didn't go to the left, right? They stayed right where God wanted them to be. And that's where we need to be as well, you guys. I think that a lot of times what ends up happening in lives and people's lives is that they lose that balance. They forget that God is holy and that we should not continue in sin. That we as Christians, we know better. We're not supposed to look into that ark. We're not supposed to do, and then you fill in the line. You know better. To whom much is given, what? Much more is required. So you're like, well, I'm not going to go to Bible studies anymore. <laughs> no, you take it in, and then you begin to live the life. You know, when I told this guy, Larry, that I was a, a Christian, because up to this point, I, I didn't tell him I was a, like a, a preacher. I didn't tell him I was a pastor. You know, but once I, I tell him, because now there's even kind of like more pressure, right? You better perform, Manny. <laughs> Dot all your I's, cross all your T's, make sure you live the life. And so there are some people who say, well, then I won't tell, <laughs> you know, because I don't want that kind of pressure. But you want to know something? I, I kind of want that, that pressure, man. I want to be able to have whatever it takes, you know, that God would give to me, I guess you could say, those motivations to live a life that is fully and completely surrendered to God. You know, so my prayer, you guys, is that, you know, in, in studying the ark, that God would reveal himself to you. What was the ark? Represented, representative of the presence of God, right? The presence of God, you know? That's why you couldn't go into the holiest holies because there was the fullness of his presence. And I think that for us here as Christians, we need to come back to that, you know, to experience his presence, to long for his presence, you know, 
to not go through life in a religious way, in a superficial way. You know, and I'll share this with you guys. One last thing, and well, maybe two. No, I'm just joking. One last thing. You know, what I've been doing lately, and I'm only going to share this with you because maybe for you, it might it might help you, you know, and it might change your life. Is what I normally do is I'll listen to studies, I'll, I'll listen to music while I'm driving my car, right? But you know what I've been doing lately is I've been praying while I've been driving, okay? And so, you know, from here to here, I pray for Shelly. From here to here, I pray for Ariel. From here to here, I pray for Aaron. Next thing you know, man, you've been praying for a half an hour. And then from here to here, I pray for, and you name it, you know, and things in ministry. And what I find is that I'm driving. I'm driving, I'm praying, and I'm crying. And you know what ends up happening to my 1992 Toyota pickup truck? You know what happens to it? Okay, number one, it doesn't break down. Number two, the traffic clears. It's amazing. (laughs) But number three, my little truck is turned into the holiest of holies, right? The presence of God. My garage. Your house. How many of you guys are doing your through the Bible reading? Okay. Today we read about how God blessed the house of Obed-Edom, huh? Remember that? Why? Because the ark was there. There was the presence of God in this family, in this house. And that's my prayer for you guys, man. In your house, in your life, in your heart, that there would be this presence of God that's so real. Remember Saul? We're going to study his life. No heart for God. No heart for God. Okay? Hopefully that's none of you here. Remember Solomon? We're going to study his life as well. Half heart for God. Half heart for God. But then remember David. What was David? Whole heart for God. Whole heart for God. That's my prayer, you guys. That God would do a work in you. That God would do a work through you. That you wouldn't drop your Bibles. And that God would use our life for his glory. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you for allowing us to study your word today, Lord. I pray, Lord, for everyone here, Lord. Um, You know the giants. You know the the things that are overpowering us, you know, the weeds that need to be weeded out, Lord. You know the Ashdods and the Gath and the Ekrons, Lord. Father, you know, uh, Lord God, what's going on in our life. And I just thank you for that. I thank you that you are uh, the God of the second chance. And that, Lord, if we return to you somehow, some way, Lord, that you will return to us. Thank you for revealing your glory And thank you for revealing your grace, Lord. May you bless your beautiful people, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.